advice, or if you need a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, forgot one, raise your hand, and Sam's got some. Jeff, this is a little bit alive, if you could bring this down some. <clears throat> Anybody need a Bible before we raise them up? Let's raise our hands first for the Bible. Okay, here we go. I'm a child of God. Have in my hand the powerful Word of God. Can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now look at your neighbor and say, I believe in you. Have a quick video we want to show you right quick. Turn to Mark chapter 1. I'm glad that you're here on the opening part of our new series uh, this month. I believe in you, and I want you to understand that God believes in you. Your pastor, I believe in you. I want you to believe in you. All right, so look at your neighbor again and say, I believe in you. And don't. Do it on both sides because they may need it on the other side. <laughs> and just because one side needs it doesn't mean the other, the other side needs it too. As you're turning to Mark 1, I want you to think for just a moment. Imagine this week in churches all over the world. Millions and millions of Christians are gathering to worship, to lift high the name of Christ, and, and as these millions and millions of Christians lay down their lives and live only to the glory of God, they do it to make Him known to those around Him. All over the world, there are spirit-filled believers laying down their lives to glorify Christ. We are coming in a time in America that's going to be for us. It's going to be our turn. You ready? Already. Already, the military can be court-martialed. If you, as a Christian, lead another soldier to Christ, they can court-martial you. Because you can't do that anymore. There are no atheists in foxholes. And I'll guarantee you there'll be people coming to Christ in foxholes. But we just can't tell anybody. Isn't that sad? But it's going to get even worse. And you know what? We can smile, can't we? Because our God believes in us. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. Our God is higher than anything. Amen? I love it. But when you stop and think about all these Christians worldwide, millions and millions, sharing Christ, it all started 
It all started with our story in Mark 1. A father believes in his son. We pick it up at verse 9. It says, At that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. I've got to pause here for a minute and congratulate everyone in this room that has already been baptized. Would you raise your hand if you've already been baptized? That's awesome. Hey, you can put your hand there. And you know why I want to say I praise you and congratulate you and thank you? It's because you, you have found that peace. You have found that strength that comes from that connection of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what baptism does for you. It connects you to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. See, it's nothing about the water. It's nothing about the in fact, we run, we run Tulsa County water through Jinx pipes here into our baptistry. So there's nothing about the water, trust me. You ever drink Jinx water? <laughs> nothing about the water. Nothing about the water. But it's all about the person in the water and what's going on inside of them, amen? And the unfortunate part about baptism is we can't change how you look on the outside after you come back up to rise in a new life. It says we rise to walk in a new life. Can't change the outside, but boy, the inside is completely clean. Amen. The board's been marked clean. All the sins are forgiven. How? <laughs> As my buddy Dudley would say. So I want to I congratulate you and tell you thank you for already making that decision. There may be some here this morning and you're thinking about it. Been thinking about it. Been thinking about it for a long time. I'm a text message away or a phone call away and a cup of coffee away or a malt away or whatever you need to sit down. I'll buy your dinner and we can sit down and go through scripture and talk about it. I'll tell you, it'll be the greatest decision you ever make. Those of you that have, can you say amen to that? Amen. You bet. All right. Jesus was baptized by John the River Jordan, verse 10. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Now imagine this. Verse 11. It's probably one of the most emotional verses in all the Bible. If you stop and think about it. A voice from heaven speaks. God is speaking to his son Jesus about his son Jesus. And God says publicly in front of everybody who was there, he says, you are my son whom I love. Look at verse 11. With you, I'm well pleased. With you, I'm well pleased. I can't imagine how much that public affirmation meant to Jesus. Think about it in times that we're fixing to come on him, but the, the trials, the temptations, the pain, the sacrifice, the obedience to death on the cross. I can only imagine how many times Jesus probably went back to that moment when his dad, his heavenly father, spoke those words, this is my boy, I'm proud of him. This is my son, I'm proud of him. I am proud of him. Amen. Those of you that are men whose dads did that in your life, you remember, don't you? You remember when they'd put their arm around you and say, God, I'm proud of you. If you have daughters, you need to do that, dads. Put your arm around them. Tell them you're proud of them. You've got to let them know. 
They don't hear it enough. They don't hear it enough. But God was affirming, not because He made an A on the spelling bee in the fifth grade, not because He scored His first soccer goal, or not because He made His first million in business. He was giving Him praise and honor and, and showing love for Him because He was baptized. He, he was obedient to Scripture. That's what we ought to be saying hallelujah about. Hallelujah that our front row is full of teenagers. Amen. Hallelujah that they hang around here on a Saturday, dreary Saturday, when they'd rather be anywhere else at a garage sale. Really? And they got to set up chairs for Sunday. Than, really? They'd rather be anywhere else, wouldn't they? But they were here. They were working the work. Some of you have, out of their labor of love, are going to come to your house and do some work. I've got a couple of them coming to my house. They have no idea what they're in for. As Snidely Whiplash would say. <laughs> it won't be that bad. But can you imagine God saying that a boy? That's my son. I'm so proud of him. So the father's saying to the son, I believe in you, really. That's really what he's saying. I believe in you. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe the Spirit of God today is going to affirm you in so many ways through this series we're doing. I, I just know He will if you'll stick with it and stay with me. But if you read the text, the entire text of Mark 1, right after the Father affirms His life, you'll see that Satan shows up. And immediately after the Father affirms Him, He goes into the wilderness to fast and to pray, and the devil shows up and he tempts Him in three, three different times in three different ways. Because you see, when the Father affirms you, Satan tries to get you off track. And I can promise you one thing, that if you say yes to God, Satan is going to take notice. He's going to come after you. In fact, you can almost put it on a calendar. When you're baptized, ten days you're free for ten days. You get a, you get a Satan, stay away from me from card for ten days. I don't know what is magical about ten days, but after about ten days... Boom, it hits you. <laughs> I don't know if your resistance gets lower or what, but he comes and attacks you, and then he never, ever stops until you stop, and you get to go to heaven. And then you look across the gulf and go, ta-da. Amen? And on Judgment Day, when God says, enter into my, enter into my uh, uh, house, you good and faithful servant, you get to look back at Satan and go, ta-da. <laughs> when Jesus steps up, when God says, watch out at you into heaven, and Jesus steps up and says, puts his arm around you, he goes, because they're one of mine. They're one of mine. That's why he's coming. That's why she's coming. That's when you look at the devil who's standing over the other side, and you go, ta-da. <laughs> it's easy when you got Jesus' arm around you, ain't it? amen? That's right. Oh, that's awesome. Just think about it. Just think about it. Jesus is pressed. He's tempted. And immediately following the temptation, he goes out and he invites 12 of the most unlikely, overlooked, uneducated people. And he says to them, hey, if you'll leave what you thought was important and follow me, I will show you what is important and we'll do life together. I'll teach you everything that you need to know and you can totally change the world. 12 most unlikely, uneducated, not so handsome people. When I look at those ragtag 12, I figure there's hope for you and me. Amen. 
when I'm reading in the Old Testament and I see that God used a donkey to preach the gospel, there is hope for me. Maybe, maybe I can deliver a message. If God can use a donkey, he can use me. Because that's about where I'm at with him. You see what I'm saying? Because it's not about me, it's not about you. It's all about God in us, the hope of glory. Amen. So after, for three years, they didn't go to a class. They didn't go to a, a, a booklet and study through it. Jesus lived with them. They did life together. He takes the 11 faithful, Judas had already betrayed, after he rose from the dead, and here's what he basically says to him: I believe in you. I've got to go away now, but I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, which is even better than me, because you'll have God the Father in you, and here's your assignment, go into all the world, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teach them everything that I have taught you, go into all the world, and you 11 can change the world, because I believe in you. River Oaks, I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe in you that we can fill every chair in this room. I believe in you that we can have three services every weekend right here in this building. I believe in you. Tina Marie said, boy, preacher, I haven't played drums in a long, long time. You'd have never known it today, would you? I told her, it's like riding a bicycle. You stumble a little bit, but you figure it out, don't you? That's right. I believe in you. Do you believe in you? Do you believe in the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you believe in the power of God to work through you to do great things far above exceeding what you could hope or ask? Mm. You see, 2,000 years later, millions of Christians spread out all over the world. And it all started when the Father believed in His Son. Man, that's powerful, isn't it? That's powerful. And I believe this is one of the most important things that we can do as a church and I want to talk to you during this series about the power of influence, about doing life together. We, would, we could call it mentoring. We could call it investing in others. These coaches do it all the time. Uh, Brother Rodney put a new Facebook picture of his back of him with his uh, baseball uh, coaching jersey on with his number on it. And I, get, I, and, I, and I stopped and looked at that picture the other day, and I thought, you know what? How many young men... Is God going to bring through this path that maybe, just maybe, he'll get a chance to share the Word of God with? Brad and Bryant. How many times will they get a chance to, to share the Word of God with somebody, with some of these young men who really need to hear it? Oh, they really need to hear it. Their home lives are unbelievably bad. I'm telling you, it's all over. Derek's in college. He's playing for TU. And all of them on that team are just loaded with Christianity, aren't they, Brother Derek? <laughs> it's great to have a head coach that's a believer. And so if you're a believer as a player and you come and you've got a coach like that, it really makes it a lot easier on you. Boy, I believe in you. But I hope we'll start to invest. I hope we'll start to mentor because that's what it's about. There's a great verse that Paul talked to the Corinthians about and uh, basically, it's there, 1 Corinthians 11, once in your notes, it says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And what he's saying is that Christ is my model, my mentor. I'm going to follow him. I've basically been walking with God just a little bit longer than you have. I'm a little closer to him, but I, I, I can't go to him by myself. If you'll come with me, I want to take you with me. I'm going to pursue him, and I'd like to take you along 
And he says, I'm going to tell you what I know will help you as we all get closer to him and I get closer to him and I'm going to help you get closer to him. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And here's where we're going in the series today. Talking about what I call the emerging generation. I want to talk to the young people in this church today. 30 downs. I want to talk to you straight to you today. So don't leave. Because <laughs> the whole thing's about you. Some of us in my age, and I just had a birthday, and I'm feeling older all the time. A friend of mine in college posted a picture on Facebook of me when I was a senior. And I was showing it to Jeff, and he just started laughing and laughing and laughing. Because I had so much hair. I was looking at that picture and crying because I said, where'd my hair go? <laughs> but you know, it's all right. Next week, I want to talk about the, how we influence this next generation. We're going to talk about parenting. I mean, it's Mother's Day and all, so hey, we, this would be a good day to talk about it. But it's so much broader than just parenting because even though parents should be the most important influences in a child's life, they can never do it by themselves. Parents need some help. And here we are. So that'll give you a little highlight for what's up next week. And we're going to look at involving the body of Christ. Because basically the lie is, is that we're supposed to raise happy, well-educated, independent kids that are successful. But when you look at Scripture, it teaches us that we should raise those kids to be Christ-centered. And the greatest goal in life is not to raise a successful high school athlete. Uh-oh. Which often happens. But we'll look more at that next week. Third week, we're going to look at the role of the church at large. We'll talk about the very powerful relationship between the Apostle Paul, a younger man named Timothy. And we're going to see how Paul did life with him and helped and coached Timothy. And I'm going to try to convince you that every single one of us needs a Paul and every one of us needs a Timothy. And we need to believe in somebody. And we need to find a way to pour ourselves into them to help them power them in the gifts that God's put in their life. And then week four, I'm just going to speak directly about mentoring and doing life together. And the reason that it's important is because what we do today is because a few people believed in us. What I do today is because a few people believed in me. And I got to a time in the recent past, in the last five years, where I was dry. I was in the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel. I needed something to pour life back into me. And you say, preacher, just read the Word of God. I, I, I was reading. I was reading the Word of God. But I found a young man named Nelson Searcy. And Nelson has so impacted my life. And the first thing he said was, is your church growing? I said, no. He says, because you're not growing. I want to blame you. I mean, flat out. I've been here a long, long time. It's your fault, not mine. And he just looked me straight in the eye and he said, you're not growing. He said, how many books you read a year? I had to hang my head. He said, how many books you read a month? I had to hang my head. He said, have you read this? Have you read that? Have you read this? Have you read that? I kept my head hung. 
but then I decided, okay, how about if I saddle up and let you be my mentor? And so I've done that. And he is so lifted by spirit. Uh, he's a much younger man than I am. But you know what? God's gifted that young man. And I'm, I'm more enthused about ministry than I've ever been. I want to give this away to so many more. I want you young people in this church to consider being full-time ministers. There's plenty of football players. There'll always be plenty of this, but there'll never be plenty of preachers. 4,000 churches a year close the doors. 65% of the preachers quit because it's either not what they thought it was or it's just harder than they thought it would be. And I understood exactly where they were because I've been there. But I'll never quit now. I'll never quit until you tell me that I can't do this anymore. I don't know about a retirement age. As long as Obama, King Obama's in, in power, <laughs> none of us are going to get to retire anyway. And that's okay. I don't plan to retire. I, I want to literally kill over dead from up here and whoever gets my iPad first at your... Once I'm gone, I don't need it anymore. Let me talk to the emerging generation. Three great temptations that they face, and then I want to give you one of the greatest strengths that they have. Number one, the greatest temptation is your, and back in your notes, your generation is very tempted to feel entitled. Your generation, young people, 30 downs, you're very, you're very tempted to feel entitled. You've been labeled the entitled generation. It's not your fault. It's because your parents were busy. Both of them were typically working, and so they gave you a bunch of stuff. If you wanted it, they tried to get it for you. They protected you. They wouldn't let you leave the house without a helmet on. That way, if you fell down, you wouldn't get hurt. I never rode a bicycle with a helmet on. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Bikes took off. I didn't know you had to have a chain guard on your bike. My pants got caught in the thing all the time. Flip the bike, flip me, and everything else. I'd get up, get my, get my pants undone from the chain, roll them up, put the chain back on, take off. I didn't think anything about it. But today, there'd be an ambulance call. I'd be at the ER for about three hours. You know what I'm saying? And then, we, then my parents would sue the bicycle manufacturer for not putting a chain guard on my bike. No wonder you feel the way you do. When I was growing up, you had to literally win something to get a trophy. <laughs> Nowadays, you can come in last place. <gasps> they throw just as much a fanfare for you. Man, it doesn't matter that you're last. Here's your prize. You get it all. Everybody wins. <laughs> that's not life, is it? But that's the kind of way we've done some of you guys. We've built into you this entitlement mindset. 12-year-olds, they feel like it's child abuse if they don't have a new iPhone 5. What do you mean I have to, I have, to have a 4 and not a 4S? What? What do you mean? What's this thing? You know, the phone that flips open? What? What? I mean... I mean, they're all carrying these things. I'm 58 years old. Just got mine a couple years ago. Of course, when I was your age, these didn't exist. <laughs> I actually had to write stuff down to make notes. There's something wrong with this. 
Man, you're talking about being left out. But we got people 25 who feel they deserve the same standard of living their parents who are 55, so they, they go into debt to get it, right? They go into debt to get it. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Craziest thing I've ever seen. But here's where it's dangerous. Most of the young generation has a pretty good life, but they feel they, feel they deserve it. We ate at a restaurant last night for my birthday, and our children put it together, and it was just it was marvelous. There is no way I could go in off the street and afford to eat there. I'm not, I, don't, I don't live that kind of financial. I'm not in that strata. And there were a whole lot of people in there that I either couldn't, shouldn't have been in there, but they were in there. But you know about You walk in the door, and they step back. They treat you like you're a king. I walk in, and these beautiful women are waiting at the front. I mean, these are beautiful young women. I walked in, I went, where? And they walk over to you and smile and act like you're really somebody. I just go, okay. So they're leading us back to our seat, and the wait staff would stop where they are, and they'd get against the wall to give you the aisle to walk in. And then they say, welcome, sir. I'm so glad you're here. I asked one of them, I said, where's the restroom? He didn't say, there, 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 there. No, he took me over. Glad he stopped at the door and didn't go in. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I can understand why you feel entitled. You know? Wow. So when good things come, God gets praised. But when the bad things come, this generation says, fooey on God. I wanted this and you didn't give it to me. And so I'm mad at you, God. I didn't get the healing that you said I would get. Oh. Pray, ask anything, he'll give it to you. That's what he says. If God really loved us, he wouldn't let little children die. If God really loved us, there would be no cancer. If God really loved us, you fill in the blank. You see what I'm saying? Entitled. Second, number two, this generation is tempted to define truth as you see it. And you're tempted to define truth as you see it because most people in the emerging generation have been taught that there's no such thing as absolute truth. Which that is an absolute statement which kind of negates the whole premise of the idea anyway. But it's real common to feel, hey, if it feels good, if it makes me happy, then... It must be true. So I'm going to go with it. We live in a culture today of what I describe as the Christian atheist. People who believe in God but don't believe he exists. So there's a lot of people that claim to be Christians, but do they really live like Christ? How can you tell, the, how can you tell a soldier who's under fire from an enemy not to pray to your heavenly father? And don't tell your brother next to you or your sister next to you that, to pray with you. Because we'll court-martial you if you're doing that. Really? I believe we're going to be arm in arm, hand in hand, praying for survival. In the almighty God that will deliver. Amen? I'm not going to pray to the dirt mound. Sorry. He's not going to do it. And, and when Christians stand up, are they going to court-martial you? Okay, okay, go ahead. They don't have enough money to pay you your benefits anyway. Ask the veterans. So you might as well stand for Christ, amen? 
But the other flip side of that is if we put more Christians in, what are they going to do with us? If you outnumber them, what are they going to do with you? Going to fire all of you? Okay. You handle it. Chuck Hagel is our defense secretary. We'll let him handle it. Put him on the front line. Amen. Truthfully, truthful, truth is known. Sin is fun for a little while. I mean, it is, isn't it? If sin wasn't fun, we wouldn't do it. But boy, quick behind that comes guilt, guilt, guilt. So there's a generation that's tempted to just whatever feels good, but continue to walk in sin. And say there's no such thing as absolute truth. But the truth is, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So if you want to follow your way, you're going to die and go to hell. If you want to follow Jesus' way, you're going to get eternal life and go to heaven. Choice is yours. Number three, you're very tempted to postpone adulthood. Very tempted to postpone adulthood. And you'll see, and you see it all the time. Been coddled all your life. And you think, well... I'll become an adult later. Dr. Tim Elmore wrote a book called The Why Generation. He said in his research, the most common response to his question, and it'll probably shock you, the question that he asked was, when do you become an adult? And when he asked the emerging generation, when do you become an adult, here's what they said. When I'm old enough to drive? No. When I graduate from high school? No. When I uh, am able to vote? Old enough to vote? No. When I can buy beer? No. When I graduate from college or get a, my master's degree or get my first job or even when I get married? No. The most common response, when do I become an adult, was when I have my first child. Then I become an adult. And since people are postponing marriage, postponing childbearing, we got people in their teens, early 20s, even early 30s who still feel like a kid in an adult world because they've never had a child. I mean, after all, they just, they just raised it so that you can keep your kids on your insurance until they're 26 years old. That's a good thing. No, it's not. Get them off of yours. Who helped you? Can you imagine your mom or dad looking at you and going, okay. We'll just keep you on until you're 58 years old. <laughs> you don't have to move out. Just stay home. I'm telling you, at 18, I was gone, man. Thankful I was going to college. I knew where I was going, but boy, at 18, I was leaving. I didn't want to be there. I didn't ask for anybody to help me. I didn't even know how I was going to make it. Any of you identify with that one? But you know what? It didn't matter, did it? We just did it anyway. And God somehow got us through it, didn't he? But there's kids today, they can't buy their own car, somebody else has got to do it. They, can put, they can't put gas in their car, somebody else has got to do it. They just go looking for the credit card and dad gives it to them. Or better yet, mom does and dad doesn't know. Because mom pays the bills and she can hide it from dad because he'll never know because he don't ever see the bills. And then all of a sudden he'll look and go, oh my goodness, and then you, you know, then oh. I've meddled enough. The truth is, real life starts right now. I believe that this generation in many ways has been robbing 
and, and have been robbed of making the most significant contribution that you could because God calls you to make a difference today. Real life does not start later. It starts today. And th that's my opinion. And, those are, uh, and these are my, my opinion about these great temptations. And now I want to show you, in my opinion, this generation's greatest strength. Here it is. You are the most cause-driven, mission-minded generation in modern history. You really are. There's something about you that's different than when I was growing up. We didn't care as much about other people as you do. We didn't care about other countries like you do. We didn't care about poverty and disease like you do. It's a, it's a gift, I believe. You are a gift to this world. There's something in you that says we've got to make a difference. I see it every summer at CIY. At CIY, I see it every summer. They're raising money for it. Causes that I think are crazy. They'll have, a, they'll have a special day where you get a card. You don't open the card unless you're going to do what's on the card on the inside of that envelope. And I mean, it can be crazy stuff. For instance, they'll open their card and it'll say, learn a new language and then go to a country that speaks it and do something for Christ in that country. What? One of them, one kid opened up and said, you're going you're gonna to have a, a feed turkey dinners to your whole community. What? One kid can do this, so she goes back to her church, tells the church what she did on the card. She says, I think I'm going to need some help. They had one of the greatest outpourings and outreach around Thanksgiving they'd ever had in their history of their town. They invited the whole town to come to church and eat Thanksgiving dinner on Thanksgiving Day. So all these families gave up family Thanksgivings and came and fixed it at the church for anybody in town that wanted to come. Thousands came. Isn't that awesome? That happened in a teenager. One of them opened up and said they're going to do a water well in, in uh, Africa. I don't remember how much, $5,000, something like that. Anyway, kid goes home, tells some friends. They start doing fundraisers on the sidewalk every weekend. And they, they, they raise enough money to build a water well in, in Africa. Wow, that's this generation. That's this generation. I'll tell you, it's amazing. These kids will hear about things, they'll hear about human trafficking, and they'll say, oh my gosh, they won't sleep for days until they do something about it. One of their friends, who has a friend who has cancer, they'll sh everybody shaves their head so that they can get five bucks in donation to give to the kid to help them with cancer because there's not even their friend, it's a friend of their friends. But everybody shaves their head bald so they can do it. That's this generation. It's a great thing. You are a cause-driven, mission-minded generation. And the problem is that Satan is trying to talk you out of living for your cause today, telling you that life starts later. And here's my verse for you. Paul to Timothy, he's saying, hey, don't be afraid. God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. What he's saying is, I'm going to lay my hands on you, and when I do, I'm going to pray a prayer of faith, and the Holy Spirit is going to stir up the gift in you, because he said, Timothy, there's more in you. There is more in you. I remember one of our young people. We, it's the IY. We, we had the cards. I said, how many are you going to open the envelope? One. Only one opened it. Now, last summer, last summer, all of them opened it. That's this bunch up here. All of them opened it. Why? Because of what you do in them. Yeah. 
I haven't gone back to check and see how many of them have done what they said that on the cards would do. We ought to pull back out the card. Dad, Mom, ask them about the card. See if they're doing it. If they're not doing it, help them do it. There's more in this generation. And there's more to this generation. Don't buy that lie. But Paul goes on to say one other thing. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. And then he says in 1 Timothy 4.12, we read it earlier, set an example for all believers in speech and life and love and faith and purity. You see, and there's no age limit on that, by the way. No age limit. The young generation, it's been said, are the church of tomorrow. I say, you're the church of, of today. You're the church of today. It's what you want to do with it. It's what you want to do about it. Because I believe in you. I believe in you. And the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you. In fact, 1 Peter 2, 9 says it this, 9 and 10 says it this way, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Don't you dare put off serving God one more day. One more day. You might say, well, I, you know, I've messed up. You're a young person. You say, you know, I've messed up. I've been fooling around my girlfriend my boyfriend. Here's the great news. God can restore what the locusts have eaten away. It doesn't matter because God loves you. God's ready to restore. God's ready to restore. God's ready to restore. And heal and reconcile. God do is just come and ask him. We need to invest in these, these young people. Businessmen, I, you, you need to find five young business associates and pour your life into them. Teach them how to be a good, successful businessman and a Christian man and use the gifts and the investments that they've made wisely. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do what only you can do. God, I, I can't convince anybody, but you can. Teach us, oh God, teach us to disciple, to build, and to believe in those who, are behind, who come behind us for your glory and your namesake. There are many who've gone to church for a long time, cultural Christians. They don't really know the power of the risen Christ day by day. He didn't call them to a set of beliefs. He called them to surrender their lives wholly and completely to you. To live a totally committed life, Christ-centered life. And I know some are saying, boy, I just can't do that. Others will say, you know, I'm, I'm more, pretty much a party person. But God's doing something today. He's drawing you today. And God, we know that your, your Holy Spirit's tugging on their heart, wanting them to surrender, wanting them to come, come to you. They're not here by accident. You brought them here. And God, here's what you know. You love them. You believe in them. So God, would you transform? That's why they're here. To be touched by the power of your resurrection. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hymn of invitation. Respond.